0: Chapter two. Me too. The words are shaking and I realise it's not the paper, it's my hand. The foreign handwriting is almost burning my eyes. Someone read my letter. Someone read my letter. I look around as if it just happened, but the cemetery is empty. I haven't been here since Tuesday. It's Thursday morning now, so it's a miracle the letter is intact, still intact. More often than not, The envelope is gone, taken by weather or animals or possibly the cemetery staff. But not only is the letter here, someone felt the need to add commentary. The paper is still shaking in my fist. I want to scream. I can't even think in complete sentences. Rage is burning up my insides. This was private. Private. Between me and my mother. It has to be a guy. Greasy fingerprints line the edges and the handwriting is blocky. It smacks of arrogance to insert himself in someone else's grief and claim a part of it. Mum used to say that words always carried a bit of the writer's soul and I can almost feel it pouring off the page. Me too. No. Not him. Too. He has no idea. I'm going to complain. This is unacceptable. This is a cemetery. People come here to grieve privately. This is my space. Mine not his. I stomp across the grass, refusing to allow the cool morning air to steal any of my fire. My chest hurts and I'm dangerously close to crying. This was ours, mine and hers. The mother, My mother can't write back anymore and his words on my letter seem to drive that point home. It's like he stabbed me with a pencil. By the time I reached the crest of the hill, Tears hang on my lashes, and my breathing is shuddering. The wind has turned my hair into a mess of tangles. I'm going to be a wreck in a minute. I'll show up late for school with reddened eyes and running makeup again. The guidance counsellor used to have some sympathy. Miss Vickers would pull me into her office and offer me a box of tissues. At the end of my junior year, I was getting pats on the shoulder and whispers of encouragement to take all the time I needed. Now that we're in the middle of September, mom's been dead for months. Since school started, everyone has been wondering when I'm going to get my act together. Miss Vickers stopped me on Tuesday and instead of giving me a kind look, she pursed her lips and asked if I was still going to the cemetery every morning. And maybe we should talk about more constructive uses of my time, like it's any of her business. It's not every morning anyway. Only the mornings when dad leaves for work early though half the time I'm convinced he wouldn't know the difference either way. When he's home, he makes himself two eggs and eats them with a bowl of grapes I've washed and pulled from the vines. He sits at the table and stares at the wall and doesn't speak. I could light the place on fire and it'd be even odds that he'd get out in time. Today was an early work morning. The sunlight, the breeze, the peaceful tranquility of the cemetery all seemed like a gift. The two words scrawled on my letter feel like a curse. A middle-aged Hispanic man is blowing leaves and lawn clippings from the paved road and he stops when I approach. He's wearing some type of maintenance uniform and the name across his breast reads Melendez. May I help you, he says with a hint of an accent. His eyes aren't unkind, but he looks tired. There's weariness in his voice. I must look fierce. He expects a complaint, I can tell. Well, I'm about to give him one. There should be some kind of regulation against this. My fist clenches around the letter, crumpling it, and I inhale to speak. Then I stop. I can't do this. She wouldn't want me to do this. Temper, Juliet. Mum was always the calm one, level-headed, cool in a crisis. She had to be what was jetting from war zone to war zone. Besides, I'm going to sound like a jacked-up freak of nature. I already look like one. What am I going to say? Someone wrote two words on my letter. A letter I wrote to someone who isn't even alive. It could have been anyone. Hundreds of graves line the field around my mother's. Dozens of people must visit every single day, if not more. And what's the lawn care guy going to do? Babysit my mother's headstone? Install a security camera? To catch someone with a hidden pencil? I'm fine, I say. I'm sorry. I walk back to her grave and sit down in the grass. I'm going to be late for school, but I don't care. Somewhere in the distance, Mr Melendez's leaf blower kicks up again, but I'm here alone. I've written her 29 letters since she died. Two letters every week. When she was alive, I wrote her hundreds. Her career kept her on the cutting edge of technology, but she craved the permanence and precision of the old-fashioned. Handwritten letters, cameras with film. Her professional shots were always digital. Stuff she could edit anywhere, but film was her favourite. She'd be in some African desert, shooting starvation or violence or political unrest, and she'd always find the time to write me a letter. We did the normal thing too, of course. Emails and video chatting when she had the chance. But the letters, those really meant something. Every emotion came through the paper, as if the ink and dust and smudges from her sweat lent weight to the words, and I could sense her fear her hope and her courage. I'd always write her back. Sometimes she wouldn't get them for weeks after they filtered their way through her editor to wherever she was on assignment. Sometimes she was home and I could hand her the letter on my way out the door. It didn't matter. We just thought on paper to each other. When she died, I couldn't stop. Usually the instant I get to her grave, I can't breathe until I'm pressing a pen against the paper, feeding her my thoughts. Now, after seeing this response, I can't write another word to her. I feel too vulnerable, too exposed. Anything I say could be read, twisted, judged. So I don't write a letter to her, I write a letter to him.